Welcome to this message from City Bible Church in Portland, Oregon. City Bible Church is a vibrant community of people with one common desire to experience God, enjoy people, and celebrate life. Well, listen, uh, we're on a series right now called EPH. 416 Connected. And that kind of sounds like a unique title, but it has to do with a scripture that's taken out of the book of Ephesians, chapter 4, verses 16. And it talks about this idea connected. And when we talk about this area, I really believe that this is more than just another series at City Bible Church. This is really an important word in the time and season in which we live. In fact, I believe that this word is so significant that if you don't grasp the revelation of what we're talking about and not just get it here, but get it here and walking out in your life, you run the risk of living a very mundane or average or lonely life. How many are into an average mundane life? Anybody at all? Probably no one. But the reality is, is that there's some concepts and some truths that we're talking about that are instrumental to your life and they're instrumental to my life. And the reality is, is that every single one of us in this room today have a few things in common. And probably the biggest thing that we have in common is this quest for community. Intrinsic to your nature is for you to search out for things beyond yourself. God made you that way so that you would reach out beyond yourself and get things into your life that's necessary for your fulfillment. And even though we might not be able to identify it or be able to articulate what it is or how to do it, the reality is, is that we're still all on this pursuit. And there's three things that you are on a quest for. Every single person hearing my voice, whether you're at uh, 217 Mill Plain, listening online here at Rocky Butte, we all have these three desires in our life. The first one is the desire to belong. Every single one of us want to be a part of something beyond ourselves. You ask people that are living a lonely life, and it's like this haunting, haunting nightmare that they live daily because they just want to belong. And God, again, made us that way because there's a part that the body of Christ or that people play in our life that you can't get by yourself. So we all have this desire to belong. The second thing that we all have is this desire to be accepted. And every single one of us, we want to be loved, we want to be cared for, we want people just to accept us. I mean, when, when you go out and you build relationships, you're looking for this opportunity for people just to love you and to care about you and make you feel important and make you feel special. And when you feel that kind of love coming your way, there's something that happens inside of you, again, that God designed and created you because it's important that we understand the role that others play in our lives. And it's interesting to me because the very thing that we desire is oftentimes opposite from the way we behave. And one of the great ways, I was kind of joking with Pastor Brian Davis this morning looking around the crowd, it's kind of like we all want relationship, but when we come into church, we we don't look to sit next to someone. We're thinking, okay, now where's the place where I can get away from everybody? I mean, come on, let's just be honest. On all campuses, we're looking, well, I don't want to sit there because there's actually someone right there, so let's find a little island place. But God, I need relationship. I mean, come on. 
But we all have this desire, but sometimes our behavior, whatever it might be that's caused that in our life, it's caused us to refrain from the thing that God actually desires you to have. The third thing that we desire is this desire for significance. Come on, we all want to make an impact with our lives. We all want to make a difference in the lives of people. We want our lives to count. We just don't want to do the average thing every day. We don't want to live life on automatic stupid. We actually want to wake up and feel like we did things of value that day. Come on, how many would agree with those things? And so there's these, these things that are in our life that we're all on a pursuit to find. And these God-induced desires, they were placed in our heart for a reason. And we all have a desire for them. Even if you don't like articulate it daily, you're still pursuing those things. But here's the challenge that we face in our society today. Is even though you have the desire, it doesn't necessarily ensure the right results. I remember talking with the young lady that came into my office. She doesn't attend this church, so I can say this, but she came into my office and she was sobbing. She wanted to have an appointment with me to talk with me. I knew her from a previous uh, situation. And, and talking with this young girl, she started sobbing. And here she was, 32 years old. She says, I saved myself for marriage. And I just, I wanted to get married. I wanted a companion so bad. And I waited so many years. And she says, I met this guy at work and he would seem like such a loving guy. And we hit it off so well, unfortunately, he was unsaved. And as soon as they got married, this relationship became extremely abusive. And here she was with a shattered life and a divorce. And everything that she desired went the wrong way. It wasn't a desire issue. It wasn't a determination issue. It was a destination issue. And oftentimes the things that we desire in our lives, if we don't have the right destination in mind, we can move down a path with the greatest intentions only to find shattered dreams and broken hearts as a result of a pursuit in a wrong direction. You need desire, yes. You need determination, yes. But it needs to be pointed in the right direction. And when you take a look at our society, guys, let's just be real. America is in a relationship crisis. We are our socially retarded society. When you take a look at the loneliness that's taking place and you look at the amount of antidepressants that are just being shoved down the mouths of people to just try to get them to deal with the loneliness and discouragement and depression and the broken homes and the lack of trust and you look at all the things that are happening, listen, it's not a desire issue. Maybe the fact is, is that we have been putting our efforts in regards to fulfilling these needs in the wrong direction. And maybe God has something actually to say about maybe how you can find fulfillment and not frustration. Or maybe how you can find joy instead of just some kind of depression or scourgement. I believe that the Word of God has something to say about it. And so we're coming to this series. Again, EPH 416. I mean, what's up with that? Well, when you take a look at the book of Ephesians, it's written by this guy named Paul. Paul's an apostle, and so he speaks into the lives of people and churches and building churches. He wrote two-thirds of the New Testament, probably one of the sharpest men ever to live. And he's writing to a group of people that are a lot like you and me, immersed in a culture 
And in a city or a region that was very strong in commerce, they were materially successful. They were kind of the epic center of political power. And here in the midst of this region, these people had put their trust and their hope in something else other than God. On top of that, because of their uh, removal from God as the center of their lives, they begin to pursue other things other than God, meaning Jesus, God, King of Kings, Lord of Lords. They begin to uh, get involved in occultic practices and Diana worship, and they begin to get involved in sorcery. So there's all of these mixtures going on in society, which caused people to think wrongly. They have the same passions that you and I have, but the destructions that were happening in society are a lot like today. I mean, we're repeating history. And so Paul's trying to write to them. He's saying, hey, listen, I want to talk to you about your perception of what God really is. I want to talk to you about what church is all about. I want to talk to you about how relationships really happen. I want to talk to you about the purpose in your life. All of those things that we have a quest for, he's saying, I'm writing about it to help you. Not to preach at you, but to help you find the things that you are longing for. And the reality is, listen, if you have a wrong definition or perception of God, it'll give you a completely different worldview. And once you have a wrong perception of God, you then have a wrong perception of church. And we live in a society today that's trying to redefine what church is. Why? Because if God, excuse me, if the enemy can just get you to think a little bit different about church... He can remove you from fulfillment and from you fulfilling all that God wants you to fulfill. So church becomes something that we attend or belong. It's an institution, but it's not the center of my life. And so we get this wrong definition of God, which then gives us a wrong definition of church, which then, again, if we don't understand relationships in context to church, we have a whole wrong different, uh, a wrong definition of relationships, which ultimately affects your purpose, which ends up with wrong results. And so Paul's trying to bring us back to this thought and saying, listen, there's something here that's pretty important that you've got to get. And he begins to use the analogy of the church in comparison to your body, your natural body. And he's wanting you to understand, just as your body is intricately put together, so is his intent and desire for you in context of the local church. And just as your body has a toe that's connected to your foot and your foot to your leg and your leg to your torso, your brain tells you to put one foot in front of the other and your big toe pushes off and everything has to work together in order for you to walk forward. And if you get one thing out of rhythm or one thing that is not cooperating with the other piece of your body, you can fall on your face. And so Paul's taking this idea and he's saying, listen, the church is like your body. You can't do life outside of being connected to the body. You can try to define it all you want. You can try to reason with your intellect and smartness and wisdom and say, well, I really don't need that because I've got it figured out. I can be a Christian and not do church. Well, God bless you trying. But at the end of the day, what you're going to find out at the end of your life, sooner or later, is that God's word was right and you were wrong. 
And so Paul brings up this scripture in Ephesians 4, and I want to read it to you. It's kind of our benchmark scripture for this, this particular series. It says, For because of him, the whole body, speaking of the church, in all of its various parts, are closely joined, listen, and firmly knit together by the joints and ligaments with which it is supplied. You're all connected. And when each part with power adapted to its need is working properly in all functions, and I like that part, if working properly. In other words, there's a condition. There's a condition to whether you will get what you want based upon if you're functioning properly. How you function in the context of the church will affect the person next to you. Whether you think it or not, you will affect each other. Just like your body. If you've got a sore finger, you think about it all day long. And it grows up the full maturity, this is the goal, building itself up in love. Now when you take a look at this word, and you think about what he's trying to bring across to those people, it was such a foreign concept. I mean, this idea of meaningful relationships and genuine care and authentic growth and lasting purpose, it was such a dysfunctional society. It was like, there is no way possible that anybody can live this kind of utopian idea of relationships. I mean, it was so far, foreign, so distant, so improbable. I mean, they just kind of rejected that word. And he's trying to drill it in and saying, hey, by the way, the church, the body of Christ, plays an integral role in what you become. Not just in relationships, but ultimately what you become. Your entire eternal destiny, who you become, God's plan for your life is wrapped up in this one idea. And it was just foreign. And when you look at our society today, and for many people that come into church, and I understand we're all on a journey, this idea of church being the central part of my life, I mean, come on, preacher man, bald-headed man. I mean, man, that's good for you. You're on staff. You're a pastor. I mean, I, I understand that. But listen, I've got a life, and I've got kids, and I've got a job, and I'm busy. I understand all that. I'm busy too. By the way, I'm married and have kids and understand life too. But the reality is, is that Paul's driving home this point, and he's trying to help us understand this. This is huge. Get this. Is that the very thing that you desire in your life, God wants you to have. But he's saying the only way that you're ever going to have these things in your life is if you follow my plan, not yours. Don't let culture dictate how you perceive community to be. Don't let media, don't let entertainment, don't let other people do it. He's saying, listen, just trust me on this one. I am God. I've been doing it a long time. I'm pretty good at it. I know a little bit more than you. If you would just step back and listen and apply my word, you can have all the things in life that you were created to be Everything that you're on a quest to find can be found right here. Can I hear an amen? Are you with me so far? So when you go to the Word, you'll find that it's also found in Luke chapter 2. I don't need to put this up. But in Luke chapter, excuse me, Acts chapter 2, written by Luke, it's a portion of Scripture that talks about the first century church. 
And throughout that scripture in Acts chapter 2, you'll find that there were certain things that were communicated to God's people in regards to how they should live. And so it says that they devoted themselves to each other and they sold all their possessions so that no one would have needs. And again, it talks about this community that was so contagious that thousands of people would want to be a part of it. It was just this explosive movement in the first century. And so you have this scripture in Ephesians 4 and you have this scripture in Acts 2 that kind of give us an idea of really what God has in mind for our lives. And when you look at these two particular scriptures and you look throughout the New Testament, you'll find that there's these four reoccurring themes or ingredients, components, values, principles that God wants to put in your life and also they're the very things that you are desiring to pursue for your life. It's amazing that what you want and what you're pursuing are the same thing. What a novel idea, huh? And here are the four things that God wants you to have in your life. If you really want to live life to its fullest, you'll find that you have the right definition and application in your life in these four areas. And they're these four. Meaningful relationships, genuine care, authentic growth, and lasting purpose. Those are the four bottom line. When you look at the word of God, you'll find that it's those four things. Every single one of us want those things in our life. And they're the very things that God has designed for you in the context of this thing called church to give to you. And I want to just spend the time that we have here looking at these four areas and try to give you a different perspective of why we're so passionate about things like small groups and life tracks and why do we keep talking about it? And we understand that it's so hard to communicate over and over again. You sit there and go, okay, saying it again. All right, saying it again. Well, there's a reason why we're doing what we're doing is because we really love you. We really care for you. We really desire you to become all that God wants you to become. And so here are four things that I want to talk about that I think will help us this morning. First is this area of meaningful relationships. We're all on a quest for this one area in our life. And the bottom line, when you look at what a meaningful relationship is, it's really this. It's a place where you build biblically-based, purpose-driven God-centered relationships. And so these are the things, when you look at those words again, it may be foreign to our culture. I mean, I just don't want biblically-based relationship all the time. What about having fun? Well, having fun's in the Bible, by the way. And so purpose-driven, meaning there's actually some intent behind the relationship, that it's God-centered, meaning it's bringing glory to God in everything that you do. And so if you're really going to have a meaningful relationship, it'll have these components in it. And you'll find that every time that you have a relationship that frustrates you or that hurts you or there's a problem in it or it's gone awry, oftentimes it's because it's either an absence or a violation of those things in the relationship. Think about it for a second. And you'll find if someone violated a biblical truth or they don't love God and you're unequally yoked, it doesn't matter how hard you desire to have a meaningful relationship there, there will always be a gap. I wish it was different. There's a lot of people that I love that are in my life, including family members, that maybe don't meet that criteria. And I'm going to do my best to build relationships with them. But the reality is, 
is that if I'm going to have a relationship that's meaningful, it will have those components into it. It's one of the things that made the early church so contagious. I mean, you look at them. I mean, they did life together. They, they sold their possessions. I mean, this is so foreign to, to American thinking. I mean, give everything that I have so that other people could be blessed or that their needs could be met. You know, it's just like, come on. That's just so far-fetched. But it was the very thing that began to build relationships between them that actually had some meaning attached to them. And there's a guy, his name's Randy Frazzi. He's a pastor down in San Antonio. He wrote a book called The Connecting Church. And in the midst of this book, he makes this statement that I think is so profound and really defines where people are at today. He says this about people in church. He says, the experience of authentic community is one of the purposes that God intends, listen, to be fulfilled by the church. When he's talking about authentic community and relationship, meaningful relationship, he says, God's design, maybe not man's idea, but God's idea is that that would be filled within the context of his people, the church. He goes on and says this. He says, God intended the church not to be one bolt on the wheel of activity in our lives, but the very hub at the center of our lives. And if church to you is kind of a bolt thing where every Sunday comes around, church, 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 and you wonder why when you come you don't feel maybe the connection that you have. Maybe God's saying to you that you need to move it from a, a, a bolt mentality to a hub. Now that doesn't mean you can't do life outside of the church. God help us to do life outside of the church. We want to reach people and love people and be a light to the world and a salt to the earth. So I'm not saying let's come in and build a little fort and just kind of have the us for no more community idea. I'm not saying that. But what I am saying is, is that what should be most important in my life is my relationship with a Mike and a Willow White. It should be with a Brian Bettis. It should be with a Brian Davis. It should be with us here. This, this, is, this is life. This is our spiritual family. We're going to spend eternity together. Someone somewhere along the line could just say, amen, Mark, that's awesome. I mean, come on. Are you guys getting my point here? But here's what happens is that we come into church, and again, this may not mean as, uh, be as uh, impacting to you in the 9 o'clock service, because I know there's a lot of core people here, but I want you to grasp this, because you can help maybe new people understand this by reaching out and doing your part to build relationship with them. But when you come into church, there's really like four different types of community that you'll experience. The first is the public community, and that is where we all come into a weekend service or a super Sunday night, and we all feel this sense of community and oneness, and there's some values to a public gathering, and the, the preaching of the word, and the gathering of the saints, and the worshiping of God, all of those are critical and play a vital role in our life. But when it comes to the community piece, the reality is this, is that you can come into that level of community and never open your mouth once. You can slip in, enjoy it, and slip out and never talk to a soul. Now, you could say, hey, I, I felt like this was a loving place, but it wasn't necessarily meeting my need for community. And maybe you don't even articulate that or can even figure that piece out. 
Then there's the social community piece, which would be like our small groups or our women's or men's Bible studies or all things new or mom to mom. And these are little smaller groups where you come together and it kind of requires you talking to each other. I mean, you kind of sit in the room and you look at each other and you start talking and praying a little bit. But here's the key. It's still church initiated. It's still leadership directed. It's still based upon a schedule. And again, that's important. But that isn't the end. Both public and social are a means to an end. Because what you want and what God desires you to have is personal and intimate relationships. I'm saying this, that small groups by themselves are still not enough to fulfill that need. We look at small groups as a means to an end, not an end in themselves. They are a place in which we can get people together that desire personal and intimate relationships to hang out enough that finally they say, hey, you know what? I like you so much. Why don't we just kind of do this thing instead of small group or outside of small group? We can go out to dinner. We can go do something fun or we can hang out. And all of a sudden you begin to have this mutual relationship that's not dependent upon the church. That's what we all want. That's what every single one of us desire. But we've got to make it our effort and our challenge to step out and go out of our way to, 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 um, to bond with other people. And if you're here this morning and, and you desire that, let me encourage you, challenge you, beseech you, beg you, whatever it might be you, to just take the risk beyond sitting next to someone on Sunday morning Get involved in a small group. I mean, get involved. I saw one this morning, quilt until you wilt. I mean, come on. Get involved in quilt until you wilt. I mean, how about Friday night at the movies with the Johansons? I mean, go and watch a movie together and eat together. There's ways that you can start getting together. We've got young married groups and small groups. You can meet in a car and, you know, with the bee and in a tree and with the flea. I mean, they're, they're everywhere, all different kinds. They're just available for you. And you know, I, I go back into my walk into the church 27 years ago. When my marriage was falling apart, and I was just strung out on drugs and alcohol, I was going to hell on a greased pole, and my wife and I wandered, not into a church building, but we wandered into a small group in Lake Tahoe, California on Alameda Avenue on a Wednesday night, the middle of August, 1982. I will still remember it to this day. It was so foreign to me, so different. It actually was overwhelming. But when I walked in there, people loved me and cared for me. The guy wanted to get together with me for lunch the very next day and started to hang out and lightening up my phone every single day. It wasn't cell phone because we didn't have them then, but my, my home phone. And so there was this, this love and care and speaking into my life and wanting me to grow. And I've been wrecked ever since. And I contributed or attributed to the fact that someone poured into me and I again pursued it. And the result was is that I had meaningful, personal relationships in my life. You want it. I want it. God help us to find it here with each other. Can I hear an amen? amen. Hey, you're better. Amen. amen. Awesome. Here's the second thing that you'll see as you look at this portion of scripture, these scriptures is the whole idea of genuine care, a place where we receive acceptance and belonging and care. 
And again, that's the way the church was designed to be. You go back into Acts 2, and it says that they shared everything they had, Acts 2, 44 and 45. They sold their possessions. They shared all their proceeds with those in needs. They understood this thing. And guys, you got to get this. It's so cross-grained to our culture. They understood that relationship fulfillment wasn't based upon what they received, but what they gave. You and I know that when we reach out beyond ourselves and help someone, you give some money to people in Haiti, you do something that you you feel something in your heart and you actually sacrifice for the sake of another person, there's something that comes upon you that you get in no other way. When you pray for someone that's hurting afterwards, you just walk away kind of like... The reason you feel that way is because that's how God designed you to be. But in our culture, everything goes cross-grained to that. It's all about me and my money and my home and my future and my iras and my... And we spend our whole lives just trying to protect us. And it becomes so hard when there's a need going, I'd really like to help, but man, that means I might not be able to... Come on, am I being real and honest? Come on, I face the same thing. But we're talking about genuine care. And we're talking about this idea that if we can just move from moving people to someone else taking care of them and us start taking care of them, something begins to happen different in our lives. And we have this idea, and I'm going to just throw up a couple diagrams. The first one I want you to look at is organized institutional care. We have this idea of organized care, and that's this. When there's a need, we send them to the pastor. The church will take care of it. We live in a society that says, hey, listen, when people need food, they go to welfare. They don't have a job. They go to unemployment. They need medical attention. They go to Medicaid. And those things are all important. Thank God for those programs in our country. But what it does, if we're not careful, is it creates a calloused heart. And all of a sudden, when that need comes up, that opportunity in front of you to help someone, here's what we do. We send them to someone else. And I wanted to read something. This was in a church bulletin. It was actually entitled in this church bulletin at a church I was at called The Eulogy of Someone Else. I want to read it to you. It says, Our church is deeply saddened by the passing of an irreplaceable member. His name was someone else. For all these years, he did far more than any other church member. Whenever leadership was mentioned, someone else was looked to for inspiration and achievement. Whenever there was a job to do, a class to teach, a meeting to attend, a care to take care of, everybody always turned to someone else. It was common knowledge that someone else was amongst the largest contributors to the church. Whenever there was a financial need, everyone just assumed that someone else would make up the difference. Although we're grieved by the loss of someone else, his death comes as no big surprise. He was far too overworked and continually stretched too thinly. In fact, we may have contributed to his death by expecting too much of someone else. He left a wonderful example for us to follow, but it appears that there is nobody willing to fill the shoes of someone else. I shudder to think what will now happen to our church since we can no longer depend 
on someone else. This whole idea, Ephesians 4.16, I mean, think and dream with me for a moment. What would it be like if we actually lived according to the word? Imagine what it could be like. Imagine the people that we could touch. Imagine the thousands of people would come running into this place, this contagious movement and momentum simply because we decided to live a different way. And I want to show you the different diagram. And this is called mutual care. And it's where we get this idea that we meet the needs through interdependence. We don't connect people to something. We connect people to someone. And that someone is you. It's not somebody else. It's you. And we begin to intertwine and interlock our lives, loving and meeting the needs of each other. Come on, that's what it's all about. Just a few years ago, I had the, the privilege of driving down the uh, California coast through the big redwood forest. I was down to see my father. He lives in Mendocino. And as we were driving through, I came upon these massive, colossal redwood trees. How many have ever seen redwood trees before? I mean, they're huge. You can go ahead and put up the next diagram. Here's a picture of me and my son driving through one of them. That's my Ford Exploder with my $19 rims and vinyl bumpers, cloth interior. I'm pretty proud of that car. And I'm driving through. My wife's taking the picture. And what you'll find right there is a tree that is about 300 feet tall, 25 feet wide, about 5,000 years old. And here was the fascinating part about these trees. When I begin to read all the little signs, you would think that the roots go hundreds of feet deep because there's these huge Pacific storms that come in 70, 80 mile an hour winds and these football sized trees, I mean, just blowing it. You think they get blown over. But the reality is that the roots are very shallow. The way that they survive is they grow very low below the surface and they find other roots of other trees and they begin to intertwine and interlock. And the way that they survive is by depending on each other. And they grow together and they knot together so that when the storms come, they're locked in together. They're holding hands going, come on, here it comes. If you could just hear them going, oh my gosh, hold on, baby. I mean, that's what they're doing. What a beautiful uh, uh, example in nature of what God wants you and me to be. So we got to have this meaningful relationships in our life. Come on, we all want it. Isn't that true? We all want to be a part of not only being cared for, but caring for others. That's God's design. can be found in his church. The third area here, and I'm going to go through these last fairly quickly for you, but the third one is the whole area of authentic growth. Everything that God created is designed to grow. Now, you want to grow. Come on, you want to be better fit. You want to be better with your finances. You want to know the word of God more. We all have those desires But the reality is that oftentimes we need help in fulfilling those desires. And let me just ask you a question this morning. Are you happy with where you're at? Let's just be painfully honest. Are you happy with your finances? Are you happy with where your marriage is at? Your prayer life? Your knowledge of the word? I mean, if we're all honest, and again, that's what church and family and relationships are all about, is just being honest with each other. If we were honest, we'd probably say, you know what, I probably have some areas that I need to grow in. Then my second question will be, well, what areas are they? And the third question is be, what are you doing about it? And so we come to this, this 
this time in our church once again where we talk about things like, like life tracks. Listen, it's not just to indoctrinate you. We're not just trying to cram some other course down your throat. We, we understand that there's voids in your life. We understand there's many people that come in that have no foundation in the Word, so we designed this thing called Believe. So you can come in and actually find out important things like salvation, things that have eternal impact to your life. If you just get in there and help us uh, uh, impart to you these truths, it'll change your entire life. You can see I'm excited about this stuff. The United States Department of Labor did a a study, and they came out with these statistics. 83% of Americans must be shown a project and then be supervised. 14% can be shown the project and then do it on their own. Only 3% can find out what they're supposed to do and be disciplined enough to do it on their own. Meaning 97% of people need some help in becoming who they're supposed to becoming. You know, one of the shows that I love watching is the show, The Biggest Loser. I'm just going to admit it. You know, I'm just, I like that show. I like watching people that have destroyed their lives and watch through some persistence and help transform their lives. Anybody watching, you be honest with me, come on. One of my favorite people on that show, you guys are going, (laughs) listen, it's a fun show. And I like watching this one, one lady, her name's Jillian Michael. She's this, you know, at the beginning of the show, she looks like this little petite, cute, mild-mannered girl. But man, you get her into the workout room and her forehead splits, man, and she comes out and these people are going, I can't do it. She says, get on the, get on the treadmill. I can't do it. She goes from four to five to six. They're boom, boom. They run off, hit the wall. She says, get up, I'm bleeding. I don't care if you're bleeding. Get up, get on the treadmill. They go, Okay. But what she's doing is this. She knows that they can do it. And she gets them to do what they don't want to do so that they can become who they're supposed to become. Now, I'm not up here today saying, get into a life track. I'm not saying that. But what I am saying is please. Listen, come on, please. Man, we spend hundreds of hours and thousands of dollars. It's not for us so we can say, oh yeah, we had that 400 this weekend. It's for you. It's to help you grow. We want to get you to do what you're supposed to do so you can become who you're supposed to become. And as I close today, the last one is lasting purpose. You guys, when it's all said and done, what do you want on your tombstone? What, what do you want to be remembered for? Come on, th- there's this thing in us. We have this desire to have impact. I don't know about you, but I wake up every single day and I say, God, let me do things of eternal significance today. I hate going through a day to find out, again, that all I did was the merry-go-round thing. I remember hearing the story of a man named Millard Fuller. He's just this guy that was doing life like many of us here. 30-year-old guy who was a millionaire. Ended up almost losing his life and his children. Had a massive heart attack at a very young age. Caused him to go to his knees and say, what is life all about? 
And he got up off of his knees and began a new pursuit. He found out that 1.4 billion people go to bed every single night, homeless, without a place to lay their head. So he created this little ministry, this little idea called Habitat for Humanity, with a vision to build 10 million homes for people all over the world so that they could lay their head down at night. Here's a guy that understood, you know what? Life is fast. Life is quick. And if we're not careful... If we live every day just for ourselves to make it through another day, you're going to find out at the end of your life, you miss the entire reason why you are here sucking air on planet Earth.